And so I get in my knees. It's like, God, if you're real, I'm supposed to be here. Better change this feeling because I can't live this way. I cannot live with this feeling anymore. I'm out and I can find relief in, a, in an hour. I'm going to be okay. Uh, and I go out and I grab my suitcase, unzip it. I've got like three things left to put in from the bathroom. And uh, I got them in. Before I zip it up, I'm standing there and all of a sudden I realize that the panic is gone. Welcome to the Tabernacle Podcast with John Vermilia and me, Britton Bishop. What's up, John? Uh, do you smell fish? Uh, That's what's up. We did have some smoked fish today for lunch. There was, usually I don't eat lunch, and John Williams smoked hey, some fish that on. you caught I in the Manistee River. I reeled it in. You reeled it <laughs> Yeah, it was like the, well, isn't when that you're fishing it? with your dad, and he's like, all right, now you reel it in, son. And, <laughs> <it's> uh, like, <laughs> and you get to say it's yours. Right. And you get to say it's yours. So I had fish. And I still smell it. Yep. So this podcast room might smell like Oh, the dungeon's fish. getting worse and it's worse, worse every week. The other voice you just heard, uh, we're back with Tim Burgess. Who, Resident uh, Jedi. Resident Jedi, who uh, needs no introduction, but just in case he does need an introduction, what was the episode that we first had Tim on? Was that episode three? Yep. Episode three. If you haven't heard that, you should probably go back and listen to episode three. It, or not. You could just go right now and listen to this one, and you'll want to catch that one later because Tim dropped some bombs on us, got us an explicit rating, which yeah, we love. Yeah, yeah. yeah. guess I'm proud of that, John. Yeah. <laughs> I know my mom is. So. Uh, she's a saint. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I met Tim in 2004, I want to say. Y- 2004. You know, I'm, I'm trusting you on this because I don't recall dates. Yeah. Yeah. And and like we in episode three, we talked a lot about kind of our journey together. But Tim has held a lot of different roles at this church. Um, like me, never wanted to be a pastor. And we're fired up to have you on here today. You've been an, a youth pastor for world's oldest youth pastor. Yes, that was me. Uh, you've been an executive pastor, an associate pastor, an executive pastor again, a teaching pastor, a counseling and care pastor. For a minute, you were an assimilation whatever. Tim doesn't care what it says. He's just the Jedi. Yep, absolutely. Um, you know, as far as Jedi goes, I'm going to let you claim that I'm not <laughs> uh, under any circumstance. Actually, uh, I did have a job here once where it was just my my only written responsibility was having hot coffee. Oh, that's All true. Time. Yeah, he wanted to be and, coffee pastor. And uh, he's I, been smoking pastor. Yes, I. Yep. But I'm, I'm still the title that, that he craves. And maybe we'll get into this later when we get anyone in trouble. But the title that he craves is Worshipful Master. Worshipful Master. <laughs> Worshipful now, there's, a group master. Of, there's a group of people that may or may not be listening to Heads Just Turned. And the rest of you are going, that's kind of a dumb title. Just yeah. so you uh, know. So, here at the Tabernacle Podcast. Get us back podcast. on track. <laughs> yes, get us back on track. I just want to open by saying it's not that serious. Yeah. So <laughs> calm down for those of you that are spinning right now. Yeah. We're joking. Yeah. Yeah. Smile a little oh, bit. It's you. called joy. Try having it. Yeah. No, uh, we're glad you're here, Tim. I'm <laughs> excited. Um, I can say in my time here at the Tabernacle, it's been, it's been a lot to be able to just walk through life with you, be guided, and um, 
continuously mentored. So I'm excited to hear Thanks. the story, kind of what got you here and what the heck happened to you. It's kind of how we open all the change life stories. So. You know, uh, the, the little, well, thank you, first yeah, of all. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that, that's a, a, a really heartfelt compliment uh, for me, and I take it that way. Uh, I value people, um, and uh, I've learned so much from you young pups over the years. Uh, you, you guys really taught me a lot. So the feeling is very mutual. Um, you're mentoring me in a lot of ways, too. So thanks, bro. Yeah, for Appreciate sure. Appreciate that. Yeah. So uh, we'll get it started. Um, this is episode four, uh, or ex- episode five. Sorry, apologies for that. Um, this is Tim Burgess, Change Life Story. Um, this is something that we're excited about. We've talked about this portion of the show quite a bit, and it's something that kind of one of those we're going to use it until use it till you lose it and so that's what we're going to do and uh tim so if you just want to get us started man yeah um humor is okay right absolutely okay good uh and if it's not for the people listening they can calm down yeah absolutely you know it's it's one of those things uh being where i'm at today is i've learned not to take myself so seriously um i'm not that big of a deal uh but before we began this, Britain was saying, hey, yeah, you know, maybe your earliest memory. Uh, and I started thinking about that. It's like, well, you know, there was a time, uh, and I don't know if you guys remember this from, from you, but I was a zygote, and then I changed into an embryo um, <laughs> before a fetus. He's straight up lying on the uh, podcast. And, and, then, right and then a neonate. <laughs> what he doesn't yeah. know is yeah. you might not get out this dungeon. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and then I, then I was an infant, and then I was a toddler, but that. Uh, early one yeah uh i never paid attention in geometry so yes i know uh it, it's really weird in geometry thank you for that thank you for that mr football um you never had anyone take tests for you you already told us that so uh by the way uh earliest memory um I, I spend a lot of time with people who uh, are going, do you remember Mr. So-and-so? You know, he was our third grade. And then, and I remember absolutely none of that. I honest to goodness could not tell you one teacher's name all the way through college. Is that weird or what? Uh, you know, I don't know. You know, you kind of alluded to what happened to you. And that's the question my mom has been asking forever. Like, what happened to you, kid? Uh, earliest memory is uh, I'm the youngest. Uh, I've got three older brothers. Uh, later in life, uh, we fostered in a sister named Kathy. She's the oldest, and she's still a vast part of our family, and, and that's really cool. But my growing up formative years were with brothers, uh, mom and dad. Uh, mom was the stay-at-home classic mom. Um, dad was the uh, atypical, very committed, uh, actually very talented pastor, preacher, minister uh, for the Reformed Church of America. RCA, uh, the that's kind of the Dutch uh, heritage that I have. Um, you know, I don't know on my mom's side. I'm, it dep- I guess it depends on where the borders were at the time. I'm either of Russian heritage or German heritage on her side. So um, it would be that eastern side of Germany. And my memory, uh, first one I have is we, when we moved to a little town in southern Michigan called Hamilton, and I was probably five, four or five, right in there. Uh, and some neighbors came over and were playing outside. And, you know, I didn't get all the implications that we just moved uh, or anything, but we had a picnic table. And I remember playing the running down that picnic table as hard as we could, leaping off the end. Uh, and I had always been small but very agile. And uh, I was winning. Uh, and I remember that because there's some neighbor kids that were older and they couldn't jump as far as I could. Uh, so that's my earliest memory. Uh, John, I'm sorry that it wasn't, you know, necessarily a Jesus story right there. Uh, 
Why are you looking at me about that? Uh, because yeah, so Hamilton, Michigan. Hamilton, Michigan. Son Michigan. of a reformed Dutch reformed preacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's part of what happened to Tim. Yeah, yeah, that's part of it. So growing up, um, kind of. How long were you guys in Hamilton for? Uh, I was there till uh, I f- graduated fifth grade, uh, and we moved to Traverse City uh, at the beginning of the my sixth grade year. Okay, and your and dad then, was pastor in that whole entire yeah, time. Yeah, my I moved with my parents. My dad became the uh, pastor at Faith Reformed Church up in Traverse. Was um, that transition tough? Kind of did you? It was. I, you know, it wasn't until a little later. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it was weird because my oldest brother stayed uh, down south, mm-hmm. uh, and so we went from a four boys to three uh shortly after that my oldest brother randy went off to college so then we're down to two um i was excited to move up because the parsonage had a dishwasher and i just thought we <laughs> and had its moved. name wasn't tim Burgess. yes and it, it was like this is the greatest thing ever why wouldn't we move to traverse city dad there's a dishwasher right right uh, of course so, it was 1939 <laughs> yes it was uh so we uh that, that, that transition into school, it was weird. School and me never really got along. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, don't have. I'm not going to claim any uh, ADDs or anything like that. I just had a really hard time sitting still. Mm-hmm. Uh, certain things didn't make sense, like math. Um, other things I was really good at. It was mostly about having friends, mm-hmm. uh, and I had a number. When the transition happened is when I went to the junior high. Uh, I'd never. Hamilton has. Uh, Gosh, at that time, maybe 600 people living in Hamilton uh, and came to Traverse City. And suddenly I went to the junior high and we have a thousand kids in my class and I have no idea what to do. Did that. Uh, so yeah. did that kind of that transition being uh, uh, going from being a fish in a small pond to being a fish in a big pond, did it did it kind of mess with you? Like, was there some areas of like you didn't feel seen anymore? You didn't feel noticed? Did you find yourself kind of reaching for something to bring back? Like, hey, I'm still over here. Or was there, you know, the success that I had as weird as it sounds was anything athletic uh just because of the agility that i had um you know i I realized i wasn't going to be a wrestler i was too small i couldn't play football uh basketball the same um i had shared with you guys earlier when i the my 11th grade year i was five foot six Mm -hmm. probably weighing 105 pounds or so that summer i grew quite a bit but um what I found was that there's a great way to be invisible uh, and that accountability only comes out once in a great while. And that was in the form of a, a, a report card. Mm. Um, and so I would rather than trying to be noticed, I had some close friends uh, that, that I would hang with. Um, I felt uh, like if I can fake my way through this, it's going to be okay. Uh, is is kind of how it felt. Uh, not any connections with teachers mm-hmm. necessarily. No great grades. Uh, I remember getting report cards and, you know, literally figuring out how to change them <laughs> when my parents read them. Uh, and I got busted one time, but I talked my way through it because um, I was also gifted with a mouth. Yeah. And I was a little heathen and I lied like a yeah. sailor. Yeah. So you were <laughs> so you transitioned there in sixth grade is when you started going to school there. Yeah. Dad's pastor in a church. Um, was mom a stay-at-home mom? Yeah, mom okay. was stay-at-home. Uh, it wasn't, uh, let's see, when I was 14, my brother, my next brother, Dan, he's four years older, he took off to uh, Michigan State. Okay. And so I was now home alone. That was a really weird time. I mean, my yeah. parents are amazing. I love my parents. But my mom really went through a difficult time. 
uh, and the church was growing exponentially. It was just dynamic as could be. Uh, and that's back in the day, John, when you know the one pastor did everything. You he get did to, everything. You get to be yep. the secretary and blah blah blah. Right. Uh, and Dad just he didn't have the tools to say I need help. Right. So Mom ended up home alone <laughs> um, and felt alone. Yeah. Uh, and she just – there were some issues she really struggled with for a while, and it was pretty evident to me. Yeah. So my next foray was how do I get out of the house? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when I'd get out of the house, I'd feel this massive sense of guilt about leaving my mom home alone. Mm-hmm. You know, And that's just – that's the reals. That's how I felt. Yeah, because when you were introducing earlier, you kind of used the word very committed um, when you were describing how your dad pastored, which isn't yeah. a bad thing by any you know. means. But did you find uh, that with him being committed – in the church realm, one pastor did everything. Um, mom's feeling that thing, and you're like, "Well, I gotta get out of the house," but I'm experiencing this guilt. Was there kind of a piece where you didn't want to be in the middle of all that, so yes. you were just trying to avoid it? Was that absolutely? Uh, you know, there was a time where I'd hope Dad would come and watch whatever sport I was doing, mm-hmm. um, and realize that was pretty fruitless mm-hmm. uh, to have that desire to come and watch. And you know, the, I think what I realized is he wasn't fighting for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I need this time my son's playing. Um, it's, it, you know, and you have to realize the age they came from, you know, I mean, let's be realistic. There was a time in the uh, in our history uh, that kids were a little bit disposable. You know, they didn't always make it to 18. Um, and there's got to be a stealing of that. You know, a lot of big families, uh, you know, and I'm not saying that was my dad's motive. But once I began to understand some of that, the getting out of the middle of it was uh, when I succeeded in Christian ghetto church, uh, I had my dad's attention. Mm -hmm. If I went out and scored 35 points in a basketball game, my dad couldn't care less. So when you say that word succeeding in the Christian ghetto, what is that? Oh, uh, that's, I knew how to pray out loud. Everybody, you know, I knew how to, uh, go, no, that's in first Peter. Uh, you know, I could pronounce some of the names in the old Testament. Uh, you know, I, I knew the, um, uh, it's not a constitution in the Reformed Church. What is it? There, a lot of their doctrine, I, I actually really knew a bunch of that. There's a catechism class that you go to, and it, you don't get confirmed in the Reformed Church, but you actually, if you want to join the church, you need to be able to sit down with some elders uh, and answer some bodaciously hard, intimidating questions. Uh, and I'm going to tell you, at 13, I could have been a member in any Reformed Church had I wanted. So there's a, there's something that you and I have talked about a lot in the past which is uh, growing up in that generation, the son of a pastor. I don't know if I could say it of my kids or you could say it of your kids, but both of them being from the same generation, just growing up in that house, you get a certain level of seminary degree whether you like it or not. Absolutely. Because you're in church, I'm imagining just from the conversations that we've had, Sunday morning, at Sunday school, at Sunday night, if there's ever pr- if the doors are open, you're there. You're there. Yeah. And so... You've even shared how uh, you were a sermon junkie. Mm-hmm. Like you actually loved to listen to your father yes. preach. Yeah. And and one of the memories you shared with me was a typewriter. Yeah. Do you remember that? Oh, I do. I'm you setting know, you up. Go you, for well, it. Th- thank you. You know, I'm, I'm going to segue. If I get off from that, bring me back because it's a cool story. But uh, back to the early memories when we were first in that house in Hamilton, my folks had people over. And I remember being this little kid and uh, probably burning it out at the party. You know, and I was sitting on my mom's lap and how you put your head, you know, up on, on your mom's chest like that, just sitting there and hearing her voice from my ear on her chest. Mm-hmm. That that is a vast memory of uh, safety, 
Mm. You know what I mean? Um, and it wasn't something I experienced all that much, but it was a really cool moment. I remember that one. But then the other one is, yeah, the the old typewriter. My dad had uh, uh, a mechanical one that went with him everywhere. And by mechanical, that means it didn't plug into nothing. Uh, you know, you had a ribbon that you would move and blah, blah, blah. But the noise that that made. And my dad would sit there at the kitchen table. And it, once that tapping started happening, man, you, you didn't like my. I, you never got yelled at, but it was obvious Dad was writing, right? And uh, he needs to concentrate to do that. Um, you know, now that I'm an adult and I look back at that, it's like you know they preached. Your dad and my dad preached uh, two sermons every Sunday, and I don't mean just two. They might have had three morning services, but they also had a night service, and they were different sermons. That's right. And, uh, and he manuscript. He manuscript. Like he typed out. He, yeah. I, I have several hundred of them uh, typed out. They're single space type. Uh, you can't see them that good. I don't know how my dad read this stuff, <laughs> uh, but you know, I can remember him going through. And as he writes in a story form, much like I do, you know how mm-hmm. you are. I can remember sending you an email about a topic of something or other, and you sent back just send me bullet points. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't need, I don't need the whole story. And then you swore at me in that email. I did and not. I, uh, He's trying to get explicit rating again. <laughs> and I went right to uh, you know trying to figure out how to do bullet points. What did that even mean? Right. And you've taught me well over that. But that's how my dad wrote. Right. Uh, so sitting in church, um, you know that there there there's much more of a glass house, I believe back in the day uh, that, that you lived in. Um, and some of that actually is healthy uh, because sometimes the motivation for not being a stupid, wicked, evil sinner person is uh, everybody can see me. Uh, and that's okay. Oh, I can know? completely and, relate. But, you didn't want to let your dad you know, down. You, don't, you didn't want to let the church down. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Glass it's, house, not a bad thing. No, not always. Uh, uh, I can't go there because that will really get us explicit yeah, <laughs> in yeah, that glass house. Uh, you know, I won't. Um, but I remember sitting in church, uh, and there were so many boring things about church back then. You sat in wooden pews. Um, we sang out of hymnals. Um, we had a choir that couldn't carry a tune to save anybody's life. Uh, in fact, <laughs> I uh, hope they're not listening. Had they, well, they're all dead by now. I can promise you that. <laughs> but uh, they were actually they actually got pushed off the dang Titanic before it sank because they couldn't carry a tune. That's how bad it was. And they would say, we "Guess love what? Them, of course, yeah, well, I, they were cool people. They just couldn't sing. They couldn't you know, sing. they couldn't sing. They couldn't even sway in time. It was that bad. And you know, and then they would get up and they start singing, and all of a sudden you realize." There's seven verses to this oh. hymn, and they're going to sing every one of them. For the glory uh, of God. Yeah, I guess so. And uh, <laughs> as a kid, you know, it just drove me crazy because I'm looking out the windows. I mean, I guess if everyone's playing baseball, can I go? Right. Uh, that was my heart, uh, but you could never say that. Once my dad started preaching, uh, man, I was in love with my dad's cadence and his voice. And, uh, you know, the closest I could come to, and I've heard a ton of sermons, just a ton of sermons, was Billy Graham. Uh, my dad had the same kind of hair. I mean, it, he was that era. Stature. And, Tall uh, man. Yes, yep. and he had a fire in him. And it wasn't a – it was a conviction fire, not a condemning fire. Mm. Uh, and I just ate it up. I mean, I'd get home and uh, – we did you guys, John, uh, do devotions around yes. the after-dinner table? Yes. Right? So yes. I never got to leave dinner early because you always had to stay for the, the devotion, which means Dad would read – Something out of scripture, and then my mom would always say, 
what do you say? You know, and then, you know, she go around the table and grill us. You know, right. like, in our homes, uh, mom was the devotion enforcer. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but when it came, I can relate. But when it came to sermons, uh, man, I, I knew what dad was talking about, mm. uh, and it, it made sense to yeah. me. So, so transitioning, because um, you you were in TC till you graduated high school, correct? Yeah, yep. So coming out of high school, um, turning eighteen, where where did Tim head next? Was well, it, did you? There's 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 a part of the story Uh-oh. that um, that's critical because it's about a changed life. Before we get to graduation, there was something that happened in a deacon's basement or an oh, elder's okay. basement that shapes the story. It and, does, yeah. uh, and you know, to let everybody off the hook, it doesn't have anything to do with uh, any abuse that happened to me uh, <laughs> or anybody else. Now, when you say deacon's basement, I mean that could be right. a dark place yeah. uh, in our hearts, and that's not the story, but yeah. Uh, uh, Deacon's name is uh, uh, matter. M- Mr. Dick uh, <laughs> Stevens, um, and I'm going to say it because he's uh, still a good friend, uh, and his boys and I, uh, one's a year younger, one's a year older, uh, Dale and uh, Chuck, and we were just tight, and they're creative dudes. Now, Chuck could carry a tune. He could he could have led that choir and been the star, but uh, just endlessly creative uh, the people Dell was really into uh, basically how do you blow stuff up, you know? Those type, kind type, of friends. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, how do we build a, a gravity go kart that will hit 100 miles an hour? Um, you know, just cool stuff, uh, things I didn't have access to. But we're down there one night and we'd been talking about alcohol. I think I was 14 and uh, we procured a bottle of alcohol. And so there's a deacon's meeting upstairs, and we're down in Chuck's room listening to music and whatnot, and uh, pull out this bottle, and it was orange-flavored vodka. And, uh, I mean, that stuff will that will kill you. It will make you puke colors you didn't ever believe existed. <laughs> it's that bad. And I, you know, started drinking that with my friend, and I got absolutely hammered, and it was Nirvana. I mean, I had felt complete peace, uh, literally remember thinking, this is my calling. This is it. I've never felt so. Uh, now I can say it loved and accepted. And, At and age okay. 14. Yeah, and I'm okay now. Wow. Uh, and, you know, that was the beginning of the journey. Uh, alcohol wasn't all that available. I lived in a dry house. Um, Stevens did, too. Um, you know, so we were the wicked little, you know, turds running around the basement that Dick and uh, Deacon's kids and the preacher's kids yeah, getting and, lit and, in the basement. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the parents were loving, just amazingly cool people. And I, like I said, I still have a good relationship with them uh, today. Uh, but that, that wasn't on them. Um, you know, it was, it was some, there's a flaw in all of us, but that was a flaw that that's uh, the first time, like I said, big school, coming from a small town, you know, being I could be a big deal at church if I wanted to uh, because I was a preacher's kid and knew all of the things to say. Uh, the rest of my life was this small guy kind of trying not to get have the teacher go, Tim, what, what do you think um, of doing everything I can to avoid that? Uh, and then, you know, uh, at that time in Michigan, the drinking age was 18. So... Uh, when I turned 18, uh, all bets were off. I was out of the house, uh, living in a trailer with uh, with a friend, and most of my money went to various drugs and uh, various alcohols. And I was pursuing that feeling again. Is what I was doing. Mm. All right. So, and there's something that you've uh, said before, and I'll mess it up, but I, but I think it speaks to all of our lives. 
is that moment in the basement was life-changing for you, but you said every drink after that was trying to recapture that moment. Yeah. There's a way to say it, no, it was, in your other club that I don't remember how to yeah, say it. Does, it doesn't yeah. matter, but it's, uh, yeah, it, it's trying to capture that feeling again. And you'll never get and, it again. And I never, regardless of quantity, style, uh, whatever drugs I was mixing, uh, I never found that. I was always reaching. Now, it seemed like I came close a couple of times, um, but that's fiction. Yeah. Um, I, I never did. I never had that. That pure warmth is what I'm going to say. It's like a blanket wrapped around me and said, you are whole. Uh, good job. So as you were, <clears throat> excuse me, as you were chasing that kind of from 18, moved out of the house, uh-huh. um, what was that doing with your um, perceived relationship with G- or like your relationship with Christ at that time? Were you still trying to protect that kind of perception to the parents or was it just like a, I'm distancing myself? Or? I felt the need uh, – to to lie to mm. try to pretend it was the the, the relationship was still there, mm. um, but only when I was around my folks. Uh, you know, I moved away uh, not too long after that. Um, you know, got to Arizona. You know, continued, and, and that's where you know a lot of the, it, there was a freedom in it. And I think I needed that part of it um, because I didn't. You know. I, I didn't really have the courage just to be who I wanted to be. It wasn't acceptable mm. uh, to be that way and to have our last name. Uh, now, that's all stuff I perceived. It wasn't preached to me. Do you um, think that that kind of drove – do you think that's what drove this? Because you never felt like you could be yourself, but you were striving for something that maybe when you were 14 you finally felt like yourself because this shift mm-hmm. had happened in your psyche. I mean, that's what I mean. You're yeah. – you're intoxicated. You're lo- you've kind of probably settled into this is who I actually yeah. maybe am. I'm not putting on this fake front. Do you think that that whole time as you're chasing that feeling, do you think that you were probably chasing that who actually am I, or do you think that that was kind of yeah in in, in a way I I believe so because there were some definitive things that I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my brother Dan and I are very close, mm-hmm. and uh, we learned uh, how to play. Uh, in the Reformed Church world that we grew up in, it's pretty stoic, um, and there's a lot of quiet time, and there's a lot of behavior that's not acceptable. And we learned in any circumstance when you're supposed to be deadly quiet, uh, to, you know, to whatever. We learned how to play, uh, and we could play with nothing or everything, and it didn't matter. And that was really important to me, hmm. and I knew that was something I wanted to keep. Uh, because I, you know, I watched the world be so serious, and part yeah. of that as a pastor's kid, I realized. You know, later on, when the radar went up at home, it was somebody who had a crisis, and it wasn't in our home. It's just like, this is serious. Yeah. You know, somebody's kid just died. Uh, somebody's in the hospital. Somebody's wife just left and whatever. And it's, you know, life is pretty darn serious. You don't laugh during that. Uh, you suit up, show up, and you fix whatever's going on, or to the best of your ability, help. Uh and the fun was missing, right? And what I saw at church, uh, you know, through those a lot of those formative years were a lot of really cool people, um, and they were doing the best they could. And this, I was very judgmental, and I, that's still something I struggle with sometimes, and I, I don't like that part of myself. But I'm like, man, I'm watching you sing and raise your hands, uh, and but I see you on Wednesday night at the bowling alley. And they don't match. Mm-hmm. Nothing matches here. And you're on, you know, you're perceived as this. And so I'm watching praise and worship happen. But then I'm watching guys go out and be human. Uh, and some of that was not 
okay in my book. Yeah. Uh, it's not what Scripture taught. Mm-hmm. And the biggest hurt that I think I saw out of that was there was a certain level of society that was just – they were just beneath us, mm-hmm. just beneath us. And it's like uh, that was incongruent with everything that I believe Jesus taught. Yeah. Um, you know, it was the proverbial, as John has said many times, thought of uh, I need to take a shower before I take a bath. I got to get my act together before I can come to church. Mm-hmm. And that was perpetuated by some of the leadership around me. It's like, man, eh, that person's kind of a nuisance. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to take a lot of work, uh, meaning in my mind, and I'm not putting this on them, that they were worthless. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not worth our time. Did you find that to be true kind of in your relationship at home with that? Growing up in the glass house, like, did you find that you were, or did you get to kind of be yourself and settle into the fun and stuff like that? Um, yeah, with the times when my brothers were around, it was much easier. So when you were by uh, yourself is when that When happened. I was by myself, I really did for a while feel abandoned mm-hmm. uh, by that. And, um, you know, some of the circumstances of the my mom and dad during that time uh, made it much more lonely. Uh, and it was like, it was basically, I, I can't be who I am here. I need to get out. I mean, I can remember like, you know, uh, one day I was in my car, I was heading to Cadillac. I was actually on a business thing, uh, making deliveries for somebody. And I went to a payphone office and I had this unbelievable panic and called my really good friend, Lauren. And it's like, bro, I left my pot out. Uh, it's on my dad's shoe shelf. Uh, I was going to bring it with me, and I totally oh, forgot dear. it. And, and and my dad jogs at three. Can you? I mean, I knew that we were very structured time wise, and, and so Lauren made it over, rescued me. And but Lauren was such a cool guy. He had a, he had a great relationship with my mom. Even after I left, he would still come over and have coffee with her once in a while, just to check in on Gene. And so it was uh, natural for him to come in our house, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but even to that fear level of what if I get caught? Yes, John. So you're. What I'm picking up here mm-hmm. is at the same time, the church is driving you nuts because you feel like people are living double lives. There's there's a there's a group of people that they won't associate with. There's people that it seems to you they look down on. At the same time, when they come to church, it's all serious and stoic. There's yeah. no joy. There's no laughter. There's no fun. There's no play. And there's a judgy part of you that are, that's that's struggling with that. Meanwhile... You're also living a double life. Yeah, very there's a much life so. of addiction. There's a life of, or, the, or it's at least a developing addiction. We haven't get to the next part yet. But yeah. What 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 made you move next to uh, leave the beautiful state of Michigan yeah. for the desert? Yeah, um, yeah, that's interesting. You because know, every uh, great prophet has a desert experience. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, there's. Um, yeah, something I want to make sure I clarify is, is you, you said it well, but I want to reiterate. It was my perception right, right, of, right. of those people. It wasn't necessary. I can't tell you that that was actually true. Right. Um, and that's really important. But, the, but in my heart, that's how I felt. Yeah. Uh, but I don't want to put that on somebody else. Um, I was in the UP with uh, uh, another friend, and we were backpacking for a little while. And uh, – we were up in the Porcupine Mountains, and we just started talking about what we're doing. And he was uh, lived in Hamilton, actually, the town I grew up in. Uh, and he was a welder and uh, had gone to school for it. He was making decent money at the time. And, and we were sharing stories about maybe being a little dissatisfied. And we made a plan to move. Let's, let's go have an adventure. Neither of us had girlfriends. Let's go do something. Uh, so he had a Jeep, a brand-new Jeep, and we built a small little trailer. And we packed all of our worldly belongings and— 
decided to head out west. And my folks had some friends out there that we could camp with for a little bit, uh, free place to stay to try to get settled. Uh, so we drove out. Uh, worst ride I've ever had. Holy crap. Uh, it was a Jeep with a soft top, uh, and it's a 48-hour ride. Uh, and we went through, uh, you know, this part of this weird state called Oklahoma. And uh, then we ended up down in Texas. And man, the they're, they're, just, they're, just, uh, they're just big, windy uh, places that are soon to be deserts, I'm pretty sure. It's just like, hey, there's nothing to stop the wind here. It's coming. And that was my first experience with a tumbleweed. I'd never. I've heard tumbleweeds. I'd seen some TV shows, Watch cowboy shows, and this tumbleweed comes flying across We're on some freeway. And I'm not kidding. It was six foot tall, and it's coming at about fifty miles an hour across the thing. We hit it with a jeep, and it went underneath, and uh, it started on fire. And then we got all our stuff, you know, in there. It's like, well, crap. So we jump out and. and in spots in Texas, like, here's a gas station. Good luck. There might be one in another 200 <laughs> miles, right? Uh, so, and you've been attacked by a six-foot tumbleweed. Yeah, and so, like, I bail out. You know, we stop real quick, and I bail out, and I reach under there. And I got it out, but I had stuff stuck in my hand from tumble. They're not soft and gentle. They're no. little. They're, they're part of the desert where everything wants to kill you. Uh, and so... That was my introduction to the Wild West, right? Uh, So we make it out eventually. Had some fun, incredible experiences. Uh, We both were very country boys. Uh, We ended up in Phoenix, Arizona. And this was, oh gosh, 35, 40 years ago. It was still way too big. It was unbelievable. I've never seen so much pavement in my life. Uh, It's worse today. I mean, there's like 4 million people live in the valley now. And you can get on a freeway and go forever. But it's like, this ain't for us. Yeah, I wanted to experience it, but there's, I mean, there's no sense of community. You go to something that big, you don't even have, know where to start. Right. Uh, living with an older couple for a, a week, that's and it's like, right, that's yeah. not it, because uh, they're could just kind of like my parents, but older. <laughs> uh, and ended up getting this weird job offer to Flagstaff uh, North. I t- We took the job uh, sight unseen, uh, made almost no money, but we had f- room and board, uh, which was awesome. And so we went up to this place called Mount Elton believe this or not, Christian Conference Center. <laughs> there I am back in another Christian Conference Center. Conference or a Christian. Oh, my goodness. So we get a house. They give us a house. It's a nice compound. I don't know, 100 acres or so. A ton of buildings. Um, this is where, you know, camps would come up. Kids would come up, youth groups, whatever. A huge dining hall, you know, all, all the stuff. And uh, our job was to keep everything running. That was our job. And... Uh, so we end up there, uh, and it was a blast. I mean, Mount Eldon was right behind us, and it uh, it's a nice-sized little mountain, and it burned a few years. Uh, the south side where we were had burned a few years earlier, and there were so many trails up there that we could find. And I had a couple of dogs, and you know that was my dream was, was being it, up there. Was it a tough transition going from northern Michigan, tundra cold, to – west in arizona desert heat yeah that that was tough uh in in fact the beauty of flagstaff is uh you might get six inches of snow one night um and the next day it'll be 55 Hmm. uh and then later when i met heidi uh in that you know it was part of that mount eldon story but her family lived down in the valley three hours away uh so we'd be sick of snow and we'd just hop in the truck and Go visit her folks, sit so by the pool. So you're at this Christian conference center. They're hosting groups, doing all these things. Did you find yourself kind of 
still going through the motions with the Jesus stuff, still saying the right answers, or where were you kind of at in your um, walk at that point? I was starting to find my arrogance, okay. uh, and Marv was the director at that place, and uh, I just straight up told him I have no interest. You know, I'm not going to be a threat or anything, but, I'm, you know, because it'd be, hey, this speaker's coming in, that speaker's coming in, and, and you know, in my judgmental mm-hmm. mind, it'd be like, yeah, that's a Baptist, I ain't listening to him, or that's a Wesleyan, what the heck is a ah, Wesleyan? You know? That's like and, wild dogs, yeah, those Wesleyans. Uh, you know, interestingly enough, a uh, short ways away from us uh, was a bowling alley, mm-hmm. and that became my church. Uh, go to the bowling alley, um, knew the barmaid amazingly well. This is the dankiest, smokiest, I mean, you just picture... You know, something out of the Cohen brothers took yes, place. Yes, I'm picturing right. it now. 50 cent pitchers and free popcorn. Was there a guy there and, called the Big Lebowski? <laughs> well, there might have been. Uh, and uh, we didn't make much money, but man, you go in with uh, a little bit of an empty stomach, uh, two bucks, which is four pitchers and uh, free popcorn. Man, life is grand. And that's that's was my religion. Uh, I got to know a lot of characters out of that place. Holy crap. Um, a lot of stories I can't tell uh, out, out of there. Um, yeah, and and as long as we got up and did the job, uh, they were cool. They were like, yeah, I'm not saying I didn't care about our spiritual life, but uh, right. it was a little chaotic time for that place. Mm-hmm. And they were just really glad to have a couple guys that would work all day. Right. Yeah. So they weren't really that concerned about what was going on after you did, no. as long as you did your work. No, no. So did you find yourself as your – you know, $2, free popcorn, four pitchers, these things. Did you see, were you still chasing that original feeling that yes. you had at 14 in the basement? Absolutely. And I so was. as you're kind of chasing that feeling, and obviously, as you've alluded to, not being successful in your chase, was there like a, okay, well, maybe it's this instead of this, or was it just, well, well it was kind of that. You know, when you start looking at combinations, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one of the reasons it's hard to break into somebody's iPad or whatever is because the combinations are pretty endless. Same thing with drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, the combination gets pretty endless. Yeah. Uh, so that pursuit kept. However, you know, now out there, totally different landscape. Lots of uh, smaller canyons that nobody's ever heard of that we knew we would find. Uh, San Francisco peaks close by. Just a lot of uh, outdoor climbing hiking experiences uh that was very important to me yeah. too um so so i was seeking like uh what's the perfect place my, my oldest brother had or not my brother dan had moved out to vermont for a number of years and had been out there and i thought that'd be the coolest thing you know it uh like wow you get to like sit on the side of a mountain this is so cool that would make <laughs> life perfect right. uh and so i was kind of looking for that yet yeah. in, a, in a different part of the world uh it's it's Flagstaff has changed so much. We went back a number of years ago, and uh, the the camp is completely gone. Right. It's a subdivision. Blah blah blah. Uh, so how old were you whenever you started that job at the camp? I was twenty one. Okay, you were twenty one. Mm-hmm. Started that job at the camp. How long were you there for? That's a good question. I think we were there for a year and a half, something so, like that. Chasing that kind of to into yeah. your yeah. early twenties, and then what was was there a next thing after that? Oh or yeah, did you just no, keep there's it? something happening at that. Yeah, because okay. uh, suddenly. Uh, See if Tim died, I might be able you to do, you do, tell, change do Tim's change life story. You, you write my biography. <laughs> uh, yeah, one day I'm sitting there, and you know, it was really interesting because I had uh, these friends that all had girlfriends, you know, in high school, and mm-hmm. uh, I was pretty pragmatic at that time, and really, you know, I was insanely selfish, and that's probably one of my biggest fears and flaws. Is it's easy for me to be selfish and. Uh, 
I just watched their lives change. And it's like, what are you chasing? I mean, you're chasing your mom here, you know, because suddenly it's like, hey, you know, Brian, you want to go? Oh, I can't. You know, I can't go to the movie because my girlfriend, you know, and it's like, really? Yeah. Uh, and I watched all my friends get sucked into that. Uh, and to my credit and their shame in uh, quite a bit of sadness, most of them that pursued it are divorced today, mm-hmm. you know, have been for a long time. It didn't work out. But I I did not want a girlfriend because I figured it was a hindrance mm-hmm. uh, to that because I'd have to get permission to do stuff. Um, I spent my whole life getting permission uh, and I don't want that anymore. So. Sitting there uh, one evening at our little place, Dave and I, and I was having a beer uh, on the back deck, and Dave was out front. He says, hey, come on out here, Tim. Check this out. And I come out, and there's this girl walking across the uh, compound, and I'm like, dang. And there she was. And I'm like, dang, she's a babe. <laughs> and then this guy comes you know, kind of next to her over there, and they're walking together. And it's like, oh, crap, she has a boyfriend. Yeah, so it was the first time I had, like, maybe this, maybe I'll date somebody once. Right. Uh, and uh, so I, I, it's like, oh, she's got a boyfriend that's over with. Find out it was her brother, her brother Pete, and uh, it was Heidi. And suddenly it's like, here's uh, this girl that I'm – I she's like comes over one time and says, do you want to go have a burger and a beer? And it's like, yeah, let's go. And so we went out as a group, and from that moment on, we were kind of like a couple. But when it really happened was we had gone through and um, we were – putting in a fire hydrant system and we hit uh with the backhoe we hit another gas line it happened fairly regularly so that meant everything was gas up there right uh and i've got to go re we're relighting and i went over to her place and relit her water heater okay so she's home and you know i got this college babe who already has one degree and looking for another and she's going to be a physical therapist i mean I, I i couldn't make an entrance to a you know to a monkey farm let alone college and so I, you know i'm just kind of so i light her water heater get it all lit up and then I, it's like goodbye goodbye and, um get it it's like two days later and she goes because can you check my water heater it's like oh she likes me and she's like yeah i don't know if it works right i only get like two minutes of lukewarm water and at first i lit it i forgot to turn it on so i just lit the pilot right right? and just because i was distracted right so give me a break (laughs) yeah uh and and that was heidi uh and i mean we were very shortly after that we were just one uh neither of us were following jesus heidi thought it was cool because she'd married this preacher's guy who knew all about how to do jesus stuff so heidi wasn't a christian at this point um she was had this like what's it about right type of a thing um driven for her work and you know all of that type of yeah uh stuff and we were an odd couple Mm -hmm. uh but there's like i had alluded to play and she'll tell you one of the things that i taught her and brought into our relationship was how do you chill and play Hmm. you know how do you just be for a little bit and we don't have to we don't have to study again yeah uh and and so uh you know we did everything against the book you know we moved in together uh at the christian conference center without permission and we weren't married (laughs) and uh uh we ended up getting kicked out because of that so we ran it a little place with another guy. When you got kicked out. Did you get fired as well, or did you uh, get yeah. to keep Yeah, okay. I was I was gone. So you guys yeah. left there. It kind of broke like every policy you yeah. could possibly break. <laughs> no alcohol, right. no smoking, no right. Yeah. Uh, they didn't even like say no sex, but that was implied. Right. Yeah, you know, they couldn't put those three letters together without thinking it was sin. So, so sorry about that. Kinda... <laughs> so 
Essentially, a Christian camp found out that there was a den of debauchery. <laughs> Bingo. Led by Tim, worshipful master Burgess, yeah. worshiping at the school of said bowling alley. Yeah. yeah. And so you're kind of going through that. You guys, you get fired, have to step away from there. Heidi is still in college. Yeah, Heidi's still in college. Okay. Uh, she's coming up on uh, internships. And okay. So it's in the spring. We're living. We've now uh, live in a double wide trailer. That's where our fascination and love for double wide trailers, uh, right next to a, a really bad used car lot and a Chinese owned laundromat, uh, right across the street from. This us. sounds like and, an episode of Deadwood. And, and uh, <laughs> it it was amazing. Uh, you know, got got to know everybody really well. And we're sitting there, and Heidi says. She's on the phone. You know, back in the old days, she didn't have a cell phone. It was a, a real phone. Yeah. And she said, uh, I don't know. Let me ask Tim. And she goes, do you want to get married before I go on internships or after? And I'm like, before. <laughs> and that was my proposal. So I'm, I'm pretty much a So complete... would you say you proposed or would you say no, I No, I'm such a d- I didn't do it. <laughs> Uh, that's one of my regrets in life, and I'm sorry if you need to. Uh, Tim's, good. Tim's good. romantic, but, but <laughs> Heidi you know, is a it, saint. She bros, is an absolute and, saint. And, Pray for her. Yeah, and so you know, it's like, yeah, let's do this. I mean, I'm committed. If you need a ring, that's fine. Let's go. Let's go. That began this really weird section of life where. Um, uh, everything is going very well. We have uh, two of the coolest roommates on the planet. Everybody's getting along, and uh, you know, we're kind of coming to this wedding. My friend Dave, uh, that I moved out there with, was actually dating and getting married to uh, one of Heidi's classmates, so that was how all of that happened. And uh, so she says, uh, uh, Oh, yeah, I, I know where this is going. They go home, uh, back to Michigan, and so Dave's mom has to call my, my mom and let her know that Heidi and I are living in sin, mm. right? And uh, it's like, uh, I really didn't care at that point. And so my mom calls, and Heidi answers the phone, well, hi, Jean. You know, and, and my folks were wondering who Heidi was. My dad used to say, well, is she Indian? You won't send a picture. What's, who is she? You know? And I'm like, Dad. Not that that makes any difference, no, no, Britton. But, but that was my dad's, you know, I mean, because right. he knew my dad had spent time in Arizona and the reservations and all of that type of stuff. He just was right. making my dad, it was a dad joke. Mm-hmm. God, did I backpedal on that one fast yeah, enough? Yeah, okay, yeah, good, yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, so my mom calls up and she's talking to Heidi and then I get the phone and I'm just sitting there. You got the sliding door open. Heidi's at the kitchen table and I'm just talking to my mom and it's like, no, mom, no. Look, mom, my entire life, all those 18 years I spent with you, we never once talked about sex at all. We're certainly not going to start now. <laughs> and if that's how you feel, just don't come to the wedding. Love you. Bye. Boom. And I hung up and my wife is mortified. Most well, is my girlfriend at right. that time. Like, so, what just happened? So as you're kind of navigating that new relationship, getting married, probably outkicked your coverage a little bit, found somebody out of your league, potentially. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the I lobby's, the lobby's yeah. still out on that. We don't know yeah. for sure. Yes, yeah. it's true. But, yeah. um, and you're still kind of battling this, chasing that feeling you found mm. when you were 14 this Absolutely. whole time. How's that impacting that relationship? Um, it was just, it didn't need to be talked about. Mm. I was the guy who knew how to have fun. Right. You know, and I was going to bring that. Uh, 
you know, and it wasn't like I was completely incompetent right. at everything, but, you know, just the major things like getting a job, right. you know, that paid anything or, you know, taking care of the future. I was pretty poor at those. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, we're just enamored with the aspect of life. So uh, Heidi graduates. We got we got married. She went on internships um, for six months. So, uh, you know, we had a separation during that time. And uh, the beautiful thing was she ended up doing an internship at Munson Medical Center. And that's how we ended up back here, basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, But she took that one so she'd get to know my folks because they were living in Traverse City at that time. So Heidi was three steps ahead. She was so far ahead of me. (laughs) So Um, much the Holy Spirit in his life. Yes. (laughs) Working uh, through Heidi. So we, uh, you know, we moved to Yuma, Arizona. We spent two years down there. We left the desert because uh, the desert is just, it's just the most awful place period i mean the only thing that would make it worse is if you could never wear pants you know it's just so hot it's so you, you sit on a car seat uh in yuma arizona in the summer and it, it will hurt you to the point you need to go to the hospital now yeah. it's just so bad it never rain it, it was sunny for 161 days straight while i was there and it just about killed me uh arizonans any of you from arizona that are listening uh man take care of your water you boneheads uh, you know <laughs> you've got so little out there you go to you know like uh senator's wash or someplace like that these little reservoirs and there's like five billion pounds of broken glass <laughs> shame on you get your act together in michigan uh, they just justify that as oh it's a treasure for sea glass hunting yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. no that's litter <laughs> no in michigan they're like what are you doing that's worth 10 cents right <laughs> right there's one i Never figured that out. So, anyways, uh, Heidi got an opportunity, hmm. and uh, we moved back up here. Uh, was that and, hard for you? No, uh, it was hard for her. She thought she literally thought we'd be here maybe two years, uh, and it's uh, like thirty-seven years later. <laughs> so, uh, that's one place I was smarter than her. Uh, God really needed us here, uh, and the reason He needed us here was, uh, you know, my life was about to crash, um, and we had rented out on the peninsula, uh, had a big old farmhouse out there for a, a year or so, loved that, bought a house on 10th Street. Um, and I, I was working at a gas station and vastly, uh, in most areas of my life, underemployed. Mm. I really didn't care because it was still chasing that feeling. Yeah. Um, Heidi made good bank. So she was a physical therapist She's at this physical point. Physical therapist. And you We've were got, working at a gas station. And I'm working at a gas station. Where was Heidi's people to talk into her life? Uh, <laughs> I had severed all ties. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, her, her folks were uh, very much, you get to live your own life and yeah. we'll love you no matter what. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, we're not going to tell you how to right. live life. A beautiful, amazing people. Yeah. So you're um, chasing that. I'm still chasing it. And I mean, I used to, I'd finish the gas station, I'd hit uh, half a block away, is a little place called the Blue Goat. And they had uh, the cold, ice cold Michelob light. Just, and I'd pick up six pack, and that was my ride home off the peninsula, was that six pack. And then, uh, you know, the thought of getting home and having a six pack, and that's all there is, was a panic uh, because I'd quit the vast majority of drugs. Um, and a lot of that was because of the people that I knew that had them all lived out in Arizona. Um, uh, and the ones that I knew from Michigan were from Detroit and I wasn't going to go to Detroit. Uh, so I just turned strictly to alcohol. I realized early on that uh, any hard liquor, uh, I'd, I'd be in blackout city and the heartbeat. Mm. And that, that scared me enough. I mean, right. I had enough other experiences that should have scared me and it never did, but the total blackout of, 
suddenly realizing I missed uh, 14 hours and I don't know if I have a car anymore. Yeah. Um, those are horrid feelings. Just uh, so there's a lot of self-loathing going on. It's this cycle. And even promising myself, I'll never do that again. And by three in the afternoon, making plans to do it again. Yeah. Right. So uh, how old are you guys at this point? Oh, gosh. It was... Sorry, don't tap the table. No, you're kidding. Um, it's I'm, our show. I, we can do whatever we want. Yeah. Uh, I was probably 27. Okay. And Heidi, guess. was she? No, she's, Heidi's three years older than okay. I. So you get to math. Yeah. She, so Heidi was 30. So we had this beautiful home in uh, 10th Street, Traverse City, and we're, you know, uh, I'm, I'm remodeling the whole thing. When it came to stuff like that, that's where I shined. Right. It's like I could see the picture. I knew what the work needed to be done, and I'd just rip it apart and build and off we'd go and i knew that what that house was worth if i could fix it up and you know so even though i was underemployed i was still making us money basically right. when we sold uh, later but uh it just it was just this never-ending cycle heidi's not happy uh we had our first son dan and uh that was supposed to change everything i think in heidi's heart that she was hoping i would like actually grow up now um, she'd kind of had enough of the fun and now it was time to, uh, let's, let's be parents together. Um, a lot of hopeful, uh, healthy desire. She was finding Jesus through all of this, through church. Uh, I would come home from church just ranting about how stupid they were. Um, I, I was, so she's going to, so she's drag, she's no. dragging you to church at this point. Um, absolutely. In my mind, my wife never dragged me anywhere, but I felt so much pressure to go to church and it did not come from her uh that i could i could make it a fight so intense in a moment so that i wouldn't have to go because i felt so much guilt of not going to church did you find you know, that or, that shifted whenever you came back to michigan yes it was huge back here yeah. and especially after we had our our oldest dan uh and you know now suddenly i find myself as an adult you know, right. And one of the things I talk about in counseling with other people these days is, uh, you know, where's your certificate on the wall? It says you've arrived at adulthood to be a quality parent, right? You've got that certificate, right? Um, from some accredited university. We don't, we're just older, ugly teenagers who've suddenly arrived at a position where we're supposed, we're supposed to be an adult. And not only that, but yep. now I'm in this crisis. I should know how to deal with this. Mm -hmm. We don't. That's why we rely on Jesus, Scripture, and help uh, mm -hmm. you know, to do that. But you know, at that time, it was spiraling really fast. Heidi had uh, asked if um, I could do one month without alcohol. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was I, – I mean, if you really think about it, that's probably – that's such a ludicrous request mm -hmm. from her. She was so off base, uh, and I was so angry. So I said, yes, uh, I will do that, And it was, as I'll show you. Um, and then in the middle of that, I got a call from a guy named Tim from Arizona. Uh, it was one of our best friends and one of our roommates, and he was back. His brother was down in Detroit, and him and his girlfriend were coming, and could they come and hang for a week, and they missed us. And it's like... Okay, the bet's off, right? Um, and Heidi's like, no, I want you to go a month without drinking. It's like, it, to me, it was so unreasonable. I have this friend that's coming up. We have to be able to drink. I couldn't imagine not using anymore. It was that much of my life, right? Uh, that was the beginning of the end of my using career. And uh, 
my wife is amazingly loving. She wasn't perfect. She didn't do this all, you know, wonderfully. She could argue just as hard as I could sometimes. And it was out of fear. Uh, but she was the sane one. And there's a guy that owned a bar in Traverse City that was one of my clients. And I was uh, not only working at the gas station, but I was detailing cars. And he had this maroon Cadillac that was older that he didn't trust anybody to work on but me. Uh, and he what, desperately wanted me to be his bartender. And so I'm thinking maybe I'll go do that. And uh, so for Christmas, he gave me uh, fifth. And it was a high, a very expensive um, bit of scotch. And uh, one day I get home. And this is really, yeah, I hate this story. But it's it's the truth. But I get home and it's Danny and I. And he's around a year old. Uh, and I'm going to make dinner. And uh, Heidi's still at work doing what normal people do and uh it's like i just have a little bit and the next thing i know it's the next morning um and everybody's gone and uh the stove that i could tell I, the macaroni i was cooking had all burned um you know my one-year-old is crawling around on the floor uh when my wife got home and she'd had enough and uh of all the things to do she brought them to my parents I just and it's like no now I'm totally I was so exposed at that moment there was no going back there was no more height and it was I was so busted so up to this point you were still kind of mom and dad weren't sh- like they weren't it wasn't clear that you were like a functioning alcoholic or anything they were waiting point. for Tim to get his poop in a group right when you know come on Tim grow up a little bit more yeah. not like you're dependent on alcohol yeah um it, 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 was there suspicion maybe i don't i don't yeah. know if we ever talked about that yeah what do you think john give me your thoughts right now <laughs> no that's a because I, I, I give me some comic relief from that uh, story because nah, my heart no nah, we're not like, going to run from it there's one yeah. thing that you've taught me or there's a lot of things you've taught me don't be afraid of silence is one of them and uh you know there's there's times to wade into the pain and yeah. not try to change it i know you hate that story i think that's only the second time i've ever heard you tell that story Mm. um and that's a gift uh because you and i know that in any given weekend on any one of our campuses um on any given week someone's listening to a sermon from our church and there are people just like us and there's people that are um, that you can say you've experienced the exact same thing. And you're caught between this belief in God and something that has completely at this point in your life overtaken you. And the things that you treasure most in the world, your wife and your son, um, they're gone and you're alone. And, uh, and that's heavy. Yeah. That's heavy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the the thing I'll tell you both right now and anybody that chooses to listen is that part of that story that took me the longest was to get over the shame of it. Mm. Um, and I didn't find that until I found Jesus much later. Uh, I, I could get over the guilt or I, I didn't get over. I was able to get over the shame because I figured out Jesus a little bit or he figured me out. <laughs> but I'm still always guilty of it. Um, I know I'm forgiven, but I'm still, I did it. I don't get to go. That doesn't erase out of my mind. Right. Uh, and it also gives me some, 
level of compassion for people who are struggling with that mm. of uh, because I never meant for it to get that far right you know and and it didn't change it still didn't change your mind no i mean that happened what happened next uh um you know that next morning was a blur uh there's a note um from Heidi and you know I need to make a decision to make a phone call and I do and uh you know, she's, of course, my dad answers because she's at their house. And, you know, it's just my dad never answered the phone. Hey, this is Warren. It'd be, hello, this is Reverend Burgess. Reverend. Yeah. And <laughs> there's dad, your comic yeah. relief. Yeah. Re- Reverend. This is Reverend. both your names on my phone. <laughs> yeah. So if you was, do, you will be jobless. Um, yeah, it was, uh, uh, you know, and, and that was just, that was the title. It was like, uh, yeah, Dr. Mitchell or whatever, you know, it was right. like Reverend uh, was, was the title. And, uh you know, getting to that serious, it was, I found out my dad, my mom was, uh, uh, not equipped, um, to deal with that necessarily. She was Heidi's advocate and defender. Um, and there's a little baby involved. So she's, my mom's kind of pissed. Uh, dad's showing me this grace and this, Hey, let's take some steps. This isn't over. Um, you know, this, we've already talked extensively and I've got some friends, uh, that are in the business working with people like myself. Um, so we make a phone call and, uh, I'm finally like, okay, I got to do whatever it takes to get out of this. Uh, and, uh, the phone calls, this is, Hey, come on in, uh, take an alcohol assessment test. And I'm like, I never heard of such a thing. An alcohol assessment does. Huh. Okay. Tim, did you think that you were had the luxury of assessing different types of alcohol? <laughs> yes. Was I this, mean, I was thinking. Was this a new you know, job? All right. This, okay. Number one, uh, anything about wine. Wine just sucks. So don't go there. All, all wine is, is, is uh, it's a letdown from what grape juice tastes like. Uh, right. You know, I'm, I'm sorry. There's people that like wine. Uh, you're fooling yourself. Uh, it really does not taste good. But uh, so I have no idea what this is and it's like you know and i've had remained articulate and i'm an incredibly manipulative person which means i can argue right. my way in circles mm-hmm. and that manipulation is a, a a tactic that i used to stay sane and to keep using mm-hmm. right those are the main two things so uh i go in and i take this test with this guy named joe now i've never met joe before it's a it's like, okay, you know, I finished the test, and I'm thinking I really did good. Like, I passed with flying colors, and this is no problem. You know, he's going to say, yeah, you know, we probably should just cut down. And I'm honestly believing that thing. And he goes, yeah, uh, I'm going to recommend inpatient treatment for a minimum of 30 days. Uh, if I could get you for 40 or 50, uh, if that was even possible with insurance, that's what I would recommend. Uh, you've... Uh, and I don't, I, this is fictitious, but it's like out of a hundred, I scored 80, uh, and entrance into a treatment program is 30. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like ah, crap. You passed with flying colors, I, I passed this test. So, you know, the next thing is like, you know, what works, insurance was different then and it covered it. Uh, so I was able to like pop in quite quickly and it's like 30 days, man, I can do 30 days in jail. I can do 30 days in a treatment center. This is going to be no problem. Uh, and uh, God had this devious design with who he put in there as my counselor. Um, it's somebody that uh, I have hated, uh, wished uh, death upon, um, somebody that um, I thought was one of the most arrogant, uneducated people I have ever met to one of the 
most brilliant godlike men that's ever been put into my life that in his way pointed me to Jesus in uh, uh, probably the most gentle way possible. But the guy was not gentle with me. <laughs> he read me like a book from the beginning, and he knew when to call me out. Uh, and his name was Joe. And uh, he was he was a spectacular person. And so I'm in, uh, now I'm in treatment, right, in 30 days. It's not a big deal. It's an eternity. Uh, it, it, it literally it, counting the minutes, not even counting the hours. Uh Lots of counseling, lots of uh, individual therapy, lots of group therapy. Uh, so we end up on this day. Uh, I had a uh, a classmate that was in with me uh, in my so there were like four counselors, right? And so we're this group over here, and so she she was in this group with us, and uh, she, uh, I, I'm not going to share her name. Um, but suddenly she's overweight and really unbelievably shy and just looks like somebody brought in a really wet puppy that had been beat a lot. That was the facial expression. And uh, I wanted to run from that. I didn't want anything to do with it. And I ended up getting paired up with her a number of times and articulate and brilliant and came from a family where uh, her brother at a young age – um, where this cousin would be put in a fighting ring with all of his uncles around and uh, bets were being made and uh, just a brutal, brutalized upbringing that they both went through tons of physical violence and emotional violence, a lot of sexual violence. And uh, I didn't even know that existed. And, and uh, here I am sitting with this person uh, that had been, and then uh, her brother had actually taken off on a crime spree that ended up, making national news and uh he's actually was executed in florida a number of years ago for those crimes uh and it that was the thing that softened my heart was watching this Mm. it's like why am i here i have had it so good i had a brilliant childhood i had a lot of fun the church was an amazing place you know my folks did the very best they could they didn't spare any expenses and they never meant me harm and now i'm sitting with a situation that's 110, 120 degrees different than me, and I'm just shocked. And I watch this gentleness come out of this person. Um, and, you know, just from a physical aspect, an unlovely person was some of the most lovely heart moments I've ever heard in my life. Uh, I think that's when God broke me a little bit, mm-hmm. was, was through that. Then he had another plan, um, and I was, I was pretty pissed at God for a while about this. Uh, and him and I still laugh about it every now and then. Tim and the Almighty have uh, a little giggle every now and again. Well, and it's just I can relate. uh, You know, there's this thing called Family Day, and so if you go to a psychiatric ward, like they used to have them, uh, and full moons uh, are real, right? And the crazy level goes way high. Uh, Well, this happened on Tuesday nights in treatment because Wednesday was Family Day. That's when your family comes in and you have counselors and they're really well versed. The dysfunction that displaces all the truth is just ripped out and you're going to go raw. Uh, and it's pretty crazy. I mean, we would they would let us go play volleyball or bowling afterwards. Two violent sports, right? <laughs> you're going to get rid of some of your energy. Uh, so, of course, uh, my family 
every one of those turds show up. So I've got all three of my brothers and their spouse. I have my mom and my dad. I have my sister and her husband. I have my wife. And it's like, we take up the biggest group. And so Joe just sees this as a perfect advantage and just, boom, it's deep dive time. And, uh, man, that was life-changing. There was a, a moment where my sister uh, grew up in a different family with a lot, a lot of abuse stuff, too. But uh, she was wrecked um, and ended up, uh, that was eye-opening for her. And she ended up in a, um, a healing treatment program for herself later. Uh, and she's a spectacular woman. Uh, really amazing. But it started my whole family on this journey of what is recovery? Why would we even need this, right? Because I grew up in a teetotaling home. You know, my brother's 10 years older than I am, and I'd be over to his house. And, you know, they my brother always liked Miller, Miller beer, <laughs> and uh, had a refrigerator. I mean, you can tell when you're, you're like, you're Dutch when you got a separate refrigerator in a basement that's 20 years older than anything else you got that it's filled with miller right <laughs> that's all it is uh so you know when my folks would come over they hit all the beer you know all the time so that's kind of how i grew up with this and now it's right out in front of everybody you know my mom's dad was an alcoholic there's alcoholics on my dad's family side and my folks made the decision to not even tempt uh and now it all comes to fruition and my family began to embrace uh, this thought of what is recovery, what is, you know, because it had never been there. What is what does the word uh, codependent even mean? Um, certainly that couldn't apply to us. Hmm. Uh, and that began everybody's own journey, and I went as far as I wanted to. Uh, Joe um, saw something in me and pushed me hard. Uh, and there was a time... There was one exercise that he burned me with, and uh, and I think he read into my fear so well. So it's this thing you get to write on this sheet of paper, okay? And it's going to be one of your deepest, darkest secrets. And then we're going to – he's going to teach us how to get rid of it. And it's like, okay, cool. And I'm thinking, yeah, don't fall for this one. Because if I write something really deep, that SOB is going to read it, and he's going to drill me for the next month on this, and I don't, I don't have that energy. So I write. This is what I write. Okay, think about this. I'm a gas station jockey. My wife is a physical therapist. I write. My wife makes more money than I do. That's what I wrote as my deep dark secret. Because I was so afraid of getting busted. Right? Joe never even looked at it. We ended up burning them through this prayer exercise, and I was so pissed it's like i could have got rid of something real and i spent my whole life lying and afraid of getting busted like i'm still the little boy who sat in a classroom figuring out the way not to get called on trying to manipulate the system yeah you're trying trying to to manipulate the system yeah and it backfired on me and but it was so eye-opening and i got played like a fiddle and that's part that i was probably pissed at so this was a Christian recovery center then? No. No. Okay. But it was a definitive Christian who was my counselor. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's, a, there's a piece to this. Um, Joe is someone that I've had the privilege to meet because of Tim. And it's inter- Joe is intertwined now in my story um, and my wife's story more recently. And everything that Tim is describing I mean, there are people that are listening to this podcast, and they know Joe. Mm-hmm. And yes, that is the Joe you're thinking of. My wife and I refer to him as Gandalf the Gray. Yes. <laughs> because he is Gandalf. So if Tim's a Jedi, he learned from Gandalf. And 
Uh, Those are different um, movies. Yeah, and 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 it, yeah, but they're both movies, bro. <laughs> you, you don't you don't get to hate right there, you know. Oh, but um, <laughs> but it's interesting how God, like I've described it before, because it feels like this great sovereign God of the universe. He conspires not against us. He conspires as the hound of heaven, putting these different things mm. in our path. I'm not trying to spiritualize it. It's just fact that you meet this beautiful blonde love of your life at a Christian center where you're living a double life, mm-hmm. where just because of the job and you trying to manipulate your way into uh, this life of using, you end up back here where faith church, your family, your parents are still part of it. Even in the story that brought you to the bottom where you're finding, you know, first baby steps towards recovery, who comes in the door, who are you assigned, but this incredibly wise, spirit-filled man who's now retired. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we could ever get this guy on the podcast, that would be the coup Mm d'etat. It would be the thing, right? Um, Brings him into your life. But then God's using it to expose something in your whole family that it's, oh, it's not just about you. It's about, oh, recovery. What does that look like with your brothers, with your parents, with uh, their spouses, you know, this whole codependency thing? God's God's always 12 steps ahead. I oh, mean, if yeah. Heidi was three, God's 12 steps ahead yeah. all the time. What's happening um, in the midst of all of this? What's going on like with you and Heidi or things – um, yeah, that's where, uh, she's in amazingly stubborn. Um, and, and that's a, that's a trait throughout her family. Her, uh, two of her brothers were uh, college wrestlers. Uh, you know, you, you've got to be stubborn right. to be a wrestler because all it is is either move or I'm breaking your arm. Right? Wrestling, cross country, yeah. swimming, yeah, stubborn athletes. Yes. Stubborn, <laughs> stubborn, stubborn. Uh, so that stubbornness came into play and, uh, she told me that she'd come to the time where if I can't make it with Tim, um, I don't think I could make it with anybody. I'm going to do my best to make this work, mm-hmm. um, which is, I guess that's motivation to stay together right. yeah, on her part. You know, mine was, uh, mine was fear. Um, in treatment, there was a moment where uh, it was, uh, I'm ready to leave. I've been, I'm, there's so much panic that's happening in my life, and and so now there's been no drugs, no alcohol for an extended period of time, and I have no clue how to deal with this. And I'm in my room alone, and I've shared this story a few times, but you know, I'm, I've got my bags packed. And I've got a Toyota Land Cruiser pickup truck at home, and everything I want or need can fit in there. And I have uh, friends out in Arizona, and uh, my plan is to leave. And, uh, you know, I finally go to the bathroom because this roommate that I'd had for about a week and a half just kept saying, have you tried prayer? Have you tried prayer? Have you tried? And it's like, shut up. You know, why would I pray? And so, you know, again, here's God putting somebody in my life. And so I went into the bathroom, locked the door. It's two in the morning. You know, I got my, nobody's going to stop me if I leave. They'll try to talk me out of it, but I can go, um, lock the door so nobody can come in. And, uh, it's like, uh, I know the holy people, when they pray, they get on their knees, and making sure nobody can see me. And so I get in my knees. It's like, God, if you're real, I'm supposed to be here. You better change this feeling because I can't live this way. I cannot live with this feeling anymore. I'm out, and I can find relief in a in an hour. I'm going to be okay. Uh, 
And I go out and I grab my suitcase, unzip it. I've got like three things left to put in from the bathroom. And uh, I got them in. Before I zip it up, I'm standing there and all of a sudden I realize that the panic is gone. And I can't make it come back. And it was undone. I mean, I just said that out loud to God on my knees. And it's gone. I Even as much of a as I am. I couldn't deny that was real, that that just, I mean, that moment where you go, that just happened. That just happened. Now, that's not saying the rest of everything flew by peacefully and wonderfully. You know, I still came up with anxious feelings, but for the rest of it, I slept like a baby. Uh, I woke up refreshed and ready to attack it again. And that. It was that moment. That was the moment where it's like. On your knees all in a of this bathroom stuff, in a rehab center. All of this stuff. Yeah. And, and you think about the selfishness of the motive. I wasn't going, God, you're so great and so amazing. You love me so much that I just want to give my life to you. Uh, it was like, God, I'm desperate as hell. And right now, uh, all I see is more hell coming down the pipeline. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want this. If you if you can take that away, I'm going to believe you're real. And then I knew some of the stories, right, from Scripture because I'm a little sermon junkie, even though I didn't apply it. Yeah. And it's like, those were the men in the Bible that I loved. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I want to pause you right there. Thank you so much. I just got chills. Oh, yeah, man. because um, I think that that's a great segue for a part two. Okay. Um, awesome. Kind of we see this transition happen. So um, I'm excited to hear the rest of the story. But um, so Tab family, um, thank you guys so much for tuning in to part one of Tim Burge's Change Life Story. Tim, thank you so much just for your vulnerability and your willingness to to point to Christ and all of it. Um, and uh John, as always, it's been a pleasure. What do you got? Yeah, you you know how we're we're just in the infancy of this podcast, right? And uh, there'll probably be better change life stories than me and Tim. But I just want to say to all those people who are trying to get to episode eight, because uh, we said you have to go at least seven, and episode zero doesn't count. Um, we totally baited, hooked them, <laughs> landed them, yep. because we're going to end right there. But there's the rest of the story coming. Oh, yeah. Just yep. right. Just this is just the the low point zenith. Yep. We're gonna start climbing, eh, maybe a little bit. It, it it's not all rainbows and unicorns from then on out. Is yeah. is what we know about Tim. But yeah. that's that's awesome, man. Yeah, just, absolutely. Um, and as always, Tim is the man. Absolutely, Tim is the, the man. man. People that don't know Tim, you just only. don't know. Yep. And people that are afraid guys, of Tim, guys, we just know why. If you don't know Tim Burgess, <laughs> yeah. you just don't know. <laughs> I think I said to our staff, I think I said to our staff uh, probably a month ago, uh, one of the things we or that Tim is doing now is he's spending time with our staff people as a spiritual counselor, as as being their Joe right. to them and speaking truth into their lives. And people that don't trust him. I don't trust because it's usually because Tim can see past the veneer. Yep. And so I know you hate this. You're going to punch me as soon as we check out of here. But it's not even going to be till then. I had, to, I had to end with how much we love Tim and oh, how much absolutely. of a blessing that he's been yeah. to our church and to me and to my wife in ways that I'm not even allowed to talk about. Absolutely, 100%. Well, Tab family, as you know, as always, you guys are used to this by now. There's always an ask. Um, We just want to ask that you subscribe if you're liking this um, podcast. uh, Subscribe to the podcast so you can make sure you're continuing to get notifications when new episodes drop. Make sure you're sharing this with your friends, with your family. This could be a great episode that could shine light on the fact that in the midst of darkness, addiction, whatever it is, um, there is hope. There is 
um, a God that cares, even if it is you on your knees in a bathroom and it's about you. There's a God that cares, that wants to meet you right there, that wants to, that wants to pave a way to do an incredible work. So this could be an awesome tool to kind of start that conversation with somebody. And I want to challenge you as our tab podcast family to use that tool, um, to to use this as the resource that it is. This isn't just for the pleasure of listening, but this is hopefully something that's equipping you to continue doing the work of ministry. And also, as always, rate five stars. Um, and if you don't rate five stars, it hurts. You but- probably won't get into heaven. <laughs> We can't say that for sure, though. But I don't know. Tim may have that power. <laughs> Tim, Tim's a five-star rating. Uh, Tim is a five-star rating. Absolutely. Like, I'm five maybe star. a star, maybe yeah. two, but Tim's five stars. <laughs> I'm half a star. But well, I'm I'm five-star on how to be a jerk. <laughs> I can <laughs> so, give you that one, but... Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. but Rated until, five stars. Yep. Until next time, Tabernacle family, this is John and Britton signing off.